Hi everyone, this is Roy from Rightful Mastery, and today I'm excited to have Romain Palmieri, who's a co-founder at Grover. Uh, a Grover was started to empower all independent artists to get their music heard and accelerate their careers. Uh, he also leads his own indie pop rock music project called uh, Savine, and released uh, uh, its its records uh, last year. Uh, Romain is a mentor at Techstars Paris and is also an alumni at uh, UC Berkeley. A big thanks to Pierre Tozer for the introduction. Welcome to the show, Roman. Happy to be here. Thanks so much. Awesome. So you know, um, you you started a, a started an interesting platform, which is Grover. But how did you get into this world of uh, uh, startups? Actually, I went to like into startup at first because I did an entrepreneurship program uh, with my co-founders uh, at UC Berkeley, um, and that's where we met. And it's funny because. All of us were coming from engineering or business school at first, but we all had like music projects or experience in the music industry before. Like Dorian, like created an online blog, I had my record label and my music project. Uh, Raphael was doing music video for French rappers, so it was really, really funny because we started entrepreneurship more from like the music mindset uh, and from the customer perspective actually uh, than just starting. Started for startup, but like we were at UC Berkeley, it was the perfect environment to do it. So it was kind of the perfect mix. Interesting, and uh, you know, you know, when you were at UC Berkeley, uh, I presume that's when you started all the Google. But uh, but what was the biggest pain point that you realized that you wanted to solve when you uh, when you're looking to start with Google? Yeah, so we we started there, and like something that was really interesting is that. We all had some issue in the fact that uh, releasing a song as an artist is difficult. Uh, but something that was super interesting from the first early days of Groover is that we really decided early on to focus on the music promotion part. That was definitely the most, like, the biggest problem for artists was there. Like, a lot of artists were producing content distributing their music online more easily. Like it was easier for them to do it. Like with a computer, you can release a song. There are like 70,000 new songs being released every day on Spotify. So it's super easy like to release content, but like getting heard by the right people, reaching out to media outlets, radios, blogs, any kind of people that can help you and empower you in your music release was super difficult for a lot of artists. So we interviewed like 200 artists in the US and in France. And like the, the problem was, was the same every time, like, oh, how can I promote my music is, is definitely the biggest challenges that the, that the customer uh, of Groover today uh, had back then and still have. Yeah, you yeah, know, interesting because, you know, uh, on the podcast, I am able to get some great guests, but distribution had always been a problem. I did take a, uh, you know, uh, an on-deck course uh, on how to, how to increase my visibility, but uh, but yeah, and that's that's my follow-up question. You know, how does how does Grover help musicians get get more visibility? Yeah, so actually, so we created a platform where artists can basically submit their song to music curators, so media outlets, radios, blogs, any kind of people that can really help them. Um, and the idea is that with Grover, you are ensured that your music will be listened to within the week and you get at least a feedback on your song, but often more like uh, visibility coverage, partnership, uh, advice that will help you in the long run. So that's how we started. And now we have like 80,000 uh, artists subscribing on the platform. 
and 1.5 thousand uh, music curators that are actively listening to the songs on the platform. Interesting, and and uh, you, you know who 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 do you think is is your is your biggest audience, and you know how how did you go about tapping into into that you know the first 1,000 uh, users on on your platform? Yeah, so. We, we we started like we have 80,000 uh, artists subscribed and 1.5 thousand music curators. Uh, I think that the the main um, reason for the growth of both sides was definitely the trust they put into the platform uh, early on. And that was really like a way for artists to uh, promote their music more easily. And for curators, it was really a new way to discover music that was better for them and that was more uh insightful and they're also like an incentive because they can monetize the discovery channel more easily as well thanks to groover so that's that's the main value proposition that were like the main acquisition channels early on and now we have like grow obviously the marketing mix with content with acquisition with raffle uh because like the company is growing of course Interesting. And, you know, uh, I've been in a couple of marketplaces, but it's always a chicken egg situation. Do uh, we increase supply or demand? Uh, what what happened in, in, in Groover? Did you focus more on getting uh, more musicians on board or more people who could listen, who could be part of Groover? Actually, like, it's always kind of the same answer. I'm sure you have, like, it's always a bit of both. Uh, but we early on decided as well that, we want to be an artist-focused company, and in the mission, I mean, uh, and in the strategy for growth, it has an impact, of course, because we more like we were, we were, and we still are more focused in the acquisition of new artists joining, because like there are so many artists who have the same issue that we want to empower. And on the curator side, we have already like lots of curators receiving songs, and they don't feel overwhelmed by the songs they receive. So we don't have like this kind of uh, supply to demand issue at this stage. Um, and we really think that curators are easy to onboard at this stage. A lot of actually coming to us and discover Groover as a new way for music discovery and monetization and simplification of their discovery process. So we are definitely more focused on artist growth right now. But of course, with the small element and important point that it's still important to have curators at the end. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And uh, you know, what what is the revenue model? And uh, you know, how how do you how do you make money? Do you make money from the musicians or from listeners? Yeah, so um, we we have a marketplace business model. So basically, uh, an artist uh, is is paying per curator per song is submitted on platform. So let's say he choose like twenty or thirty curators, he will pay like. 60 euros, something like that, depending on the price of the curator of the platform. Uh, and if he has some credits or some discount, depending on how he discovered Groover. And it's very easy to understand because each time if a curator is providing a feedback, he earns half of the amount spent by the artist to reach out to him. So there is a money incentive as well for the music curators on the other side. So for instance, like I'm sending my music to you, you cost two euros on platform, it's two, between two or six euros one euros goes for you each time you provide a feedback on my music and one euros goes to Grover. So it's basically a 50% marketplace business model. Interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, what is, what is Groover's uh, user to install base? Yeah. So 
we are not like looking uh, that much into that metric because we are more looking at how the user are repeating. Um, it's like a desktop uh, strategy because like user are not installing an app, um, but it's more like um, a way for artists to like, we are more looking at how artists will come back on platform and if they are coming back often, uh, then how they install uh, something. Okay, okay, understood. And, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I researched and I found out that, you know, 60% of growers growth comes from outside of France. Um, how, did, how did you go about achieving that? And was it a conscious decision to look at users outside of France? Yeah, so since the beginning of Groover, we really wanted to be kind of international by design in the way we grow and in the way we want to grow. Um, so we started like with an entrepreneurship program in the US. Uh, we had like some network in France and in Europe. So we really wanted to grow the company globally very, very early and to build network effects globally as well. So what we started to do is that we started to onboard curators. So we always kind of start with the, the offer. So the, the what we are offering to the artist community on the platform. So the number of curators, where they are located. So we started with curators in the US, in Canada, in Brazil, in UK, in Germany. And it's, it's how it started, like with new curators, artists in the US, in Canada, in Germany, started to uh, learn about Groover and what we are doing. And then we kind of iterated on the content strategy, on the social strategy that we had in terms of marketing, in terms of way for artists to understand the value proposition in some different countries than France. And, and that's how we started. And now we have like 60% of the revenue coming out from France and with a strong port in the US that is definitely a strategic country for us. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Interesting. And, and do you think that sort of the strategy is, uh, can be implemented by you know, B2B or B2C companies as well, where you know, they should look at a conscious decision to, to look at overseas market, especially US, uh, if, if it is a non-US company? Or, or do you think you know you you could capture your market first and then look at expanding into uh, into other markets? I think it really depends on your business model and how easy it's for you to kick off a country. Like I think that's the main metric early on. Like you don't have much money to invest. You only have founders time to invest. So it's difficult to say uh, I can be international by design if you are, don't have like the investment structure or the way to build growth internationally um, with due to your business model or your product. So on our side, it was easier because onboarding curators abroad like was kind of as easy as do it in France. It depends more on your network and how you reach out to them. So so we didn't need to like build a full operational structure, having like a sales team locally. It was easier for us to build communities and build early communities 
um, in different countries than for a B2B type of company that needs sales uh, uh, there. But we definitely had this strategy early on. And I think that in B2C can be interesting if you have some network effects that can put organic acquisition into, into place. Uh, and that was something that we did. And we've also look at kind of a node saturation strategy as well. Like we really wanted to be strong in some specific cities, uh, having a community in cities where we have event or we have community in place. That was something that we wanted to, to build as well. Super interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing I researched uh, was about the Grover obsessions. Uh, is it is it like an accelerator and what is the thesis behind behind it? Do you, do you invest into artists or are they, are they part of Grover? Yeah, so Grover Obsession is an accelerator program that we created for the most promising artists we detect on Grover. So uh, we have a lot of data, a lot of information, a lot of insightful um, way to discover artists with Grover thanks to the knowledge of the platform and feedback that we have. And at some point, we really wanted to do more for artists. So a lot of artists were super promising, were like reaching out to us and saying, huh, how can you basically help us a bit more? So we put additional services uh, to help artists to like really accelerate their careers, their development, their marketing uh, by basically put resources for them uh, that are like resources with NFT monetization, um, right monetization, how they can basically grow their career even more and help them ready to be more independent in the long run was definitely something that we wanted to do. So be kind of coming in addition to their team, their management team, their, um, their label, if they have some, uh, and being really an additional tool and service for them. Interesting. And, you know, I, I was uh, listening to a, to a, uh, I read a story about a YouTube creator uh, who gave a, a bit of an equity to a venture capitalist about uh, you know giving away uh, I think a percentage of their earnings of the lifetime earnings to that venture capital firm. Uh, but do you think that that sort of uh, you know a mentality of giving their future earnings to uh, to another company uh, could be scalable in the uh, in in the future? I think that's that's something which is which is very different because uh, but a, because like a brand or a company would give away equity. To a, to a investor, but how about how would a personal brand, how would a, like a creator, like a musician, uh, would give away you know part of their earnings to to investor? Yeah, it's a very interesting question because there are a lot of um, there are a lot of parallels between like an entrepreneurs and a company and an artist, and a lot of differentiation as well. Like yeah. um, there are some parts that are similar and others that are definitely not, um, and. All take on with Grover on this on this side is to say artists want to remain more and more independent. So they want to be fully honors about their growth, about the way they will um, develop. And uh, in terms of artistic uh, behavior, it has a lot of impact as well. So the model that is kind of emerging as well is more a model less about ownership of the rights of the artist but more about like revenue sharing types of modelization that are more, the, the biggest example of that in the past 10 years has been distribution companies uh, that are splitting digital sales with artists or artists are paying for distribution on a kind of tune core or distro kid uh, business model that is more like paper be shared on, 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 
on, on the streaming platform. But what we usually look at is that the services are more like revenue sharing types. And in addition to that, there are also like all the NFT um, trend around music that is interesting to look at because it's a way for artists to um, monetize their a part of their story as well. And that is not necessarily the right of their music or the sales, but sometimes it's not correlated or it's not directly linked to uh, the shares or the royalties of the artist, but it's more a full experience that will be shared as an NFT or it's more like uh, an artwork or something like that. It's the new way, a new way for, for artists to involve the community and to monetize their content differently. So that's the revenue sharing services, distribution likes that are kind of the new uh, services for artists uh, are, are the most important part. And NFT monetization as well is, is a very interesting trend. Yeah, no, uh, I was actually coming to the NFT part. I think a uh, lot of people understand about NFTs and a lot of people don't, but um, I don't know if, uh, how can you sell NFT for millions of dollars, but, but it, it is certainly interesting for artists uh, and you know art galleries and for, for musicians and creators. Uh, but but do you think it's uh, it uh, it it complements uh, you know uh, a distribution channel for for a musician if they if they invest into NFTs? And uh, I, I was just wondering if Grover is also looking at creating an NFT for musicians for for their own brand. And what are your thoughts on that? Within the, the, the Groove Obsession program, that was like you, your question, uh, we have some different services and one of them is uh, the NFT monetization because we partner with a company called Pianity in France that is an amazing one. Basically, they, they do the technology and the NFT um, for, artists, for the artists to drop. And basically, we build this partnership with them where basically involve uh, as Groove Obsession and as this accelerator to offer um, this new way for artists to involve their community. Um, it's, it's really difficult because with NFT, there are two main kind of staff. The first one is like, how can I involve my community even more, uh, which is basically an interesting way to, to do it because you share something with them. And the second one is how can I monetize my music? And on both sides, it, has shown early, like since since like Seer mainly, a lot of interesting factor because a lot of artists and in Groove Obsession, we had some very promising artists like uh, dropping NFTs and got some promising results. And we really don't see like NFTs replacing the full like royalties, streaming new type of monetization that has, that are like the, the most important trend in the music industry is really like digital sales. Right. So. We don't see like NFT being replacing that like that much, but more coming as a new stream of revenue for artists uh, with the distribution and with the publishing that are the main important things. And with the sync licensing, which is basically when an artist is putting his music on uh, advertising or on a music video or something like that. Interesting. And, uh, you know, Groover uh, uh, has, uh, you know, recently bought Soon Vibes. Um, so, you know, when you look at an acquisition, what, what metrics do you look at when you're looking at acquiring a startup? Uh, and or was, it, was it more about acquiring the user base or the, uh, the you know, the talent? Yeah, so uh, we, we acquired Soon Vibes. That was a platform uh, built in France that, the one, that was more focused on the electronic scene uh, last year. Um, 
we are not like acquiring that much companies, to be honest. So I, I can't like say that there is a kind of playbook of the metrics that we are looking into. But I would say, to be honest, that the first one is definitely the fit with the context. So uh, is it like a smart move to do it now? Like something that needs to be kind of quickly because you don't have time, you have the product to focus on. And for, for Soonvibe, this was really super super interesting for a lot of factors. The first one is that it was a way for us to acquire a new user thanks to their SEO online, thanks to their user base. A lot of artists were maybe not Groover user yet, like discovered us thanks to uh, the acquisition of Soulvive. So that was one of the first elements. And the second one was that it was super interesting for us to focus more on the electronic scene. Uh, we really want with Groover to have like all artists being able to reach out to the curators that make sense. So if you are doing rap music, electronic music, pop, rock music, like it really don't matter for for us. We really want to help you uh, no matter what. So it was really like a strong signal as well to to show to the electronic scene that we really want to have all artists involved. It, that was something that we were already doing before, but that was interesting as well to 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 justify the the, the acquisition of some types. Interesting, and uh, you know, uh, Grover has grown over over the past couple of uh, couple of years. Uh, how how does the decision making change uh, when you when you when you're a small company and you you're uh, looking to scale? Uh, uh, you know, how how did your decision making process change? Yeah, so there there are things that really change. Like I think that the, the first one is how you structure your team. It's like kind of obvious, but you really need to have uh, people that will handle and build full honor of a team and our topic uh, within the company. It can be marketing, it can be customer operation, it can be uh, product, it can be uh, tech, front end. And at some point you really need to build a structure where everyone can be involved in the decision at different stage and a different uh, impact, of course, but really needs to have something in place. And I think that the the, the different uh, important stuff about decision making is really like the mission and the values of the company is like super cliche to say that because a lot of founders are saying that, but it's really true. Like um, we have like four values that we define with Grover that are benevolence, the feedback, uh, the passion and the results. And we really need to be sure that every people is kind of in line with these values because at some point they are the kind of how you are making decisions, like with what values and how you're making them is more important because you can be into micromanagement where when you are scaling, people need to scale faster than you have time to, to, to give them like proper stuff to do. Like that's really like the... The, the the way of seeing the growth of the company. But but it's very interesting because like if you have some values uh, that are sharing within the company and like when you are onboarding new people on the tech side and the marketing side on the product side and you are seeing that people are sharing the same value, it's super inspiring because you can feel confident about the fact that the decision that they will make uh, are in line with why you created the company early on. And as you hire them like with a strong process and you are confident about your hiring process, the 
the execution and the operational mindset they will be in will be kind of in line uh, with with your with your results. And we also like I, I know that a lot of founders are using them, but we we started very early to to do OKRs methodology, so objective and key result methodology that are super like as well. There are a lot of reading out there about like how they are using the company in different companies. And we started at first with OKRs that were like sometimes like during one week, you know, because you, you have three co-founders, four co-founders, you, you start to do stuff and and you don't really need that much more time frame than one week to execute something. And now we have like more um, trimesterial, like like quarterly based um, uh, OKR process. So it takes more time for people to onboard because you need like to have results and impact that are more like differently time uh, and we also need like to assess more the time allocation and investment of everyone in the results and the, the strategic objective that you want to to improve so even a, a process that is like as important in terms of decision making as okr that was since the beginning is evolving with time because you you need to make sure that at like every process in terms of decision making whether it's your organizational structure or your OKR process or your values are properly in line with the time and the proper objective uh, when you scale. So that's really like an everyday challenge to, to be sure that mission, values, OKR process, uh, business planning, forecasting, and everything that will improve the decision-making is super important. And what, one last element on this, on this question that is super interesting is that since the beginning of Groover, we really add, a, like since the beginning, we have a, like a small data team that is basically uh, handling as well the BI and the, like for all the teams, so it's super like uh, cross team uh, mindset from the beginning. So like if you are like a marketing people and you want like to have data on something or you are like a product team and you want to, to have data on something like the data team can structure the data, provide new dashboarding. And it really helped the decision making because you feel more confident to have like uh, the proper metrics uh, to really uh, put your decision. So I will say like investing very early on data, like on the data team, having people that are strong, that will have this kind of mindset of business intelligence is the beginning is, is something that will help a lot the decision making because that's really a way to objectivize any decision somehow. To have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's super, super interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to understand what, what could leaders do to ensure that, you know, the 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 teams feel safe uh, to be the most ambitious that they can be. There can be a lot of failures uh, in, in a startup, but how do you make them feel safe about it? I think that in the the way leaders can uh, empower uh, their team and like making a safe environment within the team is, I think that the first one is really to focus on hiring. So being sure that the people uh, that are joining the team fit with the values and the team in place. I think it's super important for leaders to, to, to having an impact on the hiring process. If they are like, if there is that, like there is no doubt, it's something that we say 
a lot when, during the hiring process and it will simplify a lot some issues uh, afterwards. Uh, I think that making a safe environment is really linked to the onboarding process as well. So I think that the first week and the first month of someone joining the team is for a manager or leader like a super important time where you really need to build confidence for the people making a safe environment where there are no stupid questions to, to ask when you're joining a team because it can be it can feel like somehow difficult or um, you can feel anxious when you are joining a new team. So being sure that making an onboarding that is really properly done with the right the right documentation, we have everything on Notion, like uh, where everyone can look at every workspace and really help a lot the onboarding and making sure that the team can put uh, ambitious uh, target afterwards. And um, and I think that's something as well that is important is really to, um, like we, we use the OKR process as a way to look for ambitious targets and really look, don't look at vanity metrics, but really look at what we want to move uh, as a team. Uh, and I think that's important to really challenge the way the OKRs are being done. If you use the OKRs, but if you use like a different framework, actually it doesn't matter that much. The importance is really like being sure that people are in line for a small period of time, but the right metrics they need personally and like as a company to move is one of the most important challenges of the of a leadership team. It's really to be sure that we are moving together and not like with some design like differentiation between between the focus. Uh, so so I would say like hiring and like strong hiring process, safe onboarding and safe environment during the onboarding and really like a process, whether it's okay or something differently, um, that will really help people to to set up some very ambitious target that could be measurable and achievable during a time frame uh, is really a way to provide uh, a cool environment for work because everyone will feel safe and like uh, will uh, be more able to with the right care and the right right uh, transmission of information uh, being able to 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 provide uh, within the team and to feel safe as well within the team. Yeah, super interesting and. Um, you know, uh, when you're looking at, at scaling your business, uh, how, how do you look at, uh, you know, assessing uh, the human potential that, you know, how, how do you assess that this team, this person could be, a, you know, a, a, an outperformer in your company? Yeah, so um, for human potential, for like, I'm really, I really think that the, the most important um the most important factor is to put a strong hiring process that you feel confident uh, to trust uh, early on, because like the way you will hire will define a lot. And for instance, we have some hiring mottos uh, at Groovers that are super strong and that we always use as decision-making when it comes to look for human potential or look for new talents or look for people that are really able to move the needle uh, with the team. So. The first thing that we are looking at uh, with the hiring process is really, we have those three factors. The first one is the kind of the scorecard of the, the people that we want to, 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 to hire. So it's really like very operational uh, elements uh, that are 
linked to outcomes for the company uh, and that are super important for us during the, the, the hiring process to assess. The second one is the fit with the team. So it's super important for someone that is that you want to outperform or that we want to, to be a strong leader within the team to fit with the, the team in place because it will be super difficult to um, to do it without like kind of human components early on because you're still a young company. And the last one is the fit with the values and the culture of the company uh, because they will be leaders of the voice of Groover uh, if they are joining. And then when they are like within the team, you have like some monthly updates and some OKRs to to uh, to verify that people uh, will outperform. It's something that I really I really love as well within the the two things that I'm personally super uh, curious about during the hiring process or when I'm meeting with people. Um, the first thing is kind of the mad skills uh, type of uh, you know assessment when I'm like hiring from position and uh, I'm seeing that someone is really into some specific element. I don't know, like for user research, for instance, someone that is super into like the voice of users from a previous company. And when you are talking with him or with her, you are like, you are like really feeling that user matters a lot to them and that they could be kind of obsessed or passionate about something to the extent that it's really an expertise for them in terms of execution afterwards. That's really inspiring as well, because you will see some people joining with this kind of passionate component from past experience that they could bring to your team and that they could be really interesting to challenge uh, the way you are doing it. And we always like looking as well to onboard people that could somehow raise the ball that are like better from like better than the team in place. That's really important because uh, we want to have people who have like more experience to really challenge us for the better. And that's why we always like look for people that are better uh, than us, that will really um, look for, uh, for the best. Um, so I think that to assess human potential and for the talent acquisition strategy more generally, you really need to have some core mottos or core values like this uh, core process in place to be sure that... Um, you don't like let yourself go into voodoo hiring or or um, or into like different or into only intuition, but you have something in place to really uh, properly assess uh, the way uh, people would provide um, uh, velocity and performance within the team. I think it's super important. Super interesting. And again, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? On my side, and it's directly linked with the last question, but I would say it's the the who, um, the method for hirings. That is really, really interesting one. If you want to just invest your time, your the team as well into the hiring, and I think it's helped a lot to create a strong company. So I would say that the who is the is my favorite business book. We'll put that in the show notes. And you know, if you could go back in time when you started Clover, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Mm, I think that the thing that we focused on really uh, at the beginning uh, of Groover that was really interesting. And I think that if I had to go back, I would do the same to be honest, because it helped us so much, is that we we actually read a book with my co-founder. Um, that was a book by Diana Kender 
about entrepreneurship that was interesting and about like starting a company with meeting user first before building the product was something that we did. And we did because of the past experience that we had before, but we really started Groover like the first month with my co-founders where the, all of us like reaching out to 200 artists without any like decision made about like what we will be building as a product, but more like general wish and desire and problem to solve. And we asked like some very, very, very uh, like detailed question uh, about like the problem in general, what they, what they want to solve. And we mapped everything in terms of data to be sure that the way we see the customer issues were not like only intuition, but there was something strong and something true. And I think that starting Groover like with the customer at first before any product, before any any proper decision made was really something interesting to to, to focus on on the early on. Early on. Interesting. And, and, and do you have any favorite online tools example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? I'm sorry? Uh, do you have any favorite online tools example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? I think that the, the the tool that I'm the most impressed that I'm using kind of every day is really Notion. I don't know if you yep, yep. use it, but that's really, really an impressive tool. And actually like the whole company of Grover is in Notion. And what we usually say is that if it's not in Notion, it doesn't exist. <laughs> it, that is something that is interesting to say to team members because it, it's kind of uh, involved if you want to put everything into documentation and to documents and it helps like it really helps so much uh, in terms of transparency in terms of communication in terms of process like right. notion is really an amazing tool yeah no, absolutely i think notion is uh, is a product which i've been using a lot uh we'll definitely put put that in the, in the show notes um what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more, more about Grover? Uh, you can reach reach out to me like on any social or via email. Like it could be super happy to to connect with anyone. We are just like we are growing a lot. We're launching an office in in the US, uh, in New York. So uh, we are hiring as well in very different position as head of marketing and in tech. So feel free to reach out. I would be super happy to connect. Oh, awesome! Uh, we'll, we'll put all the all, all that in the show notes. Uh, Roman, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.